We've made it to John chapter 12, and the significance here is that we are getting closer. Uh, We are going to hear and read in this first verse of John chapter 12 that the Passover is six days away. And if you remember how we finished the service this morning was that the conspiracy to kill Jesus, the plot to kill Jesus had been put into place. The hostility was at an all-time high, and the command had been given that if anyone saw Jesus, they were to report it so that they could arrest him and then eventually put him to death. Then they start to gather for the Passover as they're there to purify themselves and exchange the currency and to prepare to buy and purchase these animals. And the talk of the city there is, will he show up at the Passover? This this decree has went out. This uh, order to arrest him has been known to all. And will he show up at the Passover? And if you remember what we uh, discussed at the end of that service today is that not only would he show up to the Passover, he would be the fulfillment of that Passover. The Passover was a shadow pointing to Christ. It would be fulfilled in Christ. And not only would he attend, he would be the Passover lamb. It is at this Passover that is coming up that is six days away to where he will die. He will be sacrificed. He will be slain as the true Passover lamb. He will be sacrificed and he will die at 3 p.m., which is the exact time where the Passover lambs would be slain in the Old Testament. He's the fulfillment of the Passover. And we don't have time to go into the whole type and shadow. Like I said today, I would love to, but just know that this Passover he will attend and it will be the best Passover that there has ever been as he will willingly lay down his life for the sheep as that great Passover lamb. If you remember that we also discussed that after this um, decree had went out, this order to arrest him and seize him had went out, he no longer walked publicly at that time among the Jews, but he withdrew to a, a, a town called Ephraim, and there he is with his disciples in these final intimate moments before he will turn and head towards Bethany and then to Jerusalem. And now the time has come. This time in Ephraim is over and now he is going to set his sights as he begins to walk and march back to Jerusalem, but he's got to stop on the way. And that stop is in Bethany. Bethany is the place where he has been in John chapter 11 as he's raised Lazarus from the dead that took place in the village of Bethany. It was on the eastern part of the Mount of Olives. It was roughly two miles away from Jerusalem. And what takes place here is of importance. It is a beautiful story. We see the plot thicken in these first 11 verses of John chapter 12. So that's the background. That's the context. Let's read it. First 11 verses in John chapter 12. It says this. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving. But Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the, his disciples who was intending to betray him said, 
why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. Therefore, Jesus said, let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The large crowd of the Jews then learned that he was there and they came not for Jews or for Jesus' sake only, but that they may also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these verses that we've read. We thank you for the truth that they hold. We thank you for the beauty that is found in these verses. And Lord, we thank you that you are that Passover lamb. God, we thank you that our hope is anchored in you. And Lord, we thank you for what we'll learn tonight. We pray that the Holy Spirit would open our souls and our eyes, Lord, to your truths. We pray that it would uh, pierce our hearts and pierce our souls, Lord, and we would grow in our knowledge of you. We would grow in our sanctification tonight, Lord, and we would grow in our worship of you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've mentioned it about every time we've met here in the last several weeks, but I think we can say it again with all certainty. His hour is getting closer. He is getting closer to that time where he will willingly lay down his life. He will be the Passover lamb that is slain. His hour is getting closer. We have read all through uh, these chapters in the book of John and it has been they tried to seize him, but his hour had not yet come. They tried to arrest him, but his hour had not yet come. They tried to stone him, but his hour had not yet come. His hour is getting closer. We are six days away from his death. He will die as the Passover lamb. And we find it here, six days away, this scene takes place in Bethany. And this is where Lazarus was, whom Jesus has just raised from the dead. I want you to look at this dinner party, if you will. This is quite the dinner party that is here. The guests that are here are second to none. And I promise you, we will never have a dinner party that has this, uh, these group of people and the criteria they meet. Where does this take place at? Well, this is an interesting uh, account because there are multiple accounts of this. The other synoptic gospels, uh, Matthew and, and Mark and John, they tell us this story in different ways and they give us a different account of it. Here in this uh, set of verses, John's account, we don't know where the story took place. We don't know whose house it is. We don't know where it's at. But Matthew gives us a clue to whose house it was at. It was at Simon the leper's house. Matthew chapter 26, verse 6 tells us that. What's interesting about that is that if he was a leper, if he was still a leper, he wouldn't have been able to have this fellowship with these people. So we know that Simon was a leper, but was healed by the sovereign hand of God. The one who's sitting at this feast with Simon the leper is the one who healed Simon the leper. And now he's holding this party, this dinner for Jesus. 
Did you see who was also at the dinner party here? Lazarus. I mean, not only is Jesus here with the disciples, not only is he with Mary and Martha, he's with a leper that he healed, and he's also with a man who was in the, in the grave just a few days earlier. He is having this dinner with one who was wrapped in grave clothes and his body began to stink. Think about that just for a moment. Just a few days prior, this man is absolutely dead in the grave. And now because of the power of God, he is in this midst with Jesus. He is in this scene with Jesus. You've got one he's healed from leprosy and you've got one he's raised from the dead all here. Can you imagine the conversations that would have been going on at this time? Tell me what he did for you, Simon. Okay, I'll tell you. I think I can top that. I was in the, I was in the grave. I was dead. Look at me now. Can you, can you pass that to me, please? This is a dead man that's been brought to life and a leper that was cleansed. This is quite the scene that we have here. It goes on to say, So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus is one of those reclining at the table with him. We find an account also that we see that in Luke chapter 10, we know this account that, uh, that Martha is up tending the things. She's distracted by all her preparations in that account. And Mary is at the feet of Jesus listening to him. And here we have a similar account where Martha is up serving and Mary will be at the feet of Jesus again. We, we see that we can glean from this that Mary, uh, or Martha, excuse me, had a servant's heart. She was up and about. She loved to serve. She loved to do and and. We're called to be of a servant's heart and to serve and to give. And we find just some similarities here as in Luke 10, she's up where Mary's at the feet of Jesus. And here we see that same situation. In verse three, says this, Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. This nard is an oil, and this came from the plant in India. It is a priceless, or a very uh, valuable thing. It is of great value. It would have to be shipped in. It would either by camel or some other way that it would be brought into this place. It was a, a perfume that had many uses and many uh, things that it could be done with. And this is a very expensive perfume. And we see. Again, we look at these different accounts in the Gospels to where we see here that Mary is anointing the feet of Jesus. And in the other accounts, it says that she poured the perfume on his head. So what is going on here? Is the Bible contradicting itself? It's not. It would be that she started at the head and worked way down to the feet. So we get these accounts of uh, by Matthew and in Mark's account, we start to see the full picture. We see what's happening. That she begins at the head of Christ. And now it's, she's worked her way to the feet. This is a very costly perfume. Uh, La, uh, Judas is going to tell us a little bit later that the estimated value of this is 300 denarii, which is about a year's wage. So go work for a year. Take all the wages that you make in a year. That would have bought this perfume. It's a very, very valuable thing. One year's wage to 
purchased this perfume. It meant a lot to her. It may have been one of the most uh, precious and valuable things that she had to her name. And it says that she anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. We'll come back to that a little bit later, but we see that her being at his feet was a sign of worship. It was a sign of devotion, a sign of humility. What you see in this picture is very clear that Mary did not hold anything back. She brought lavish love to Christ. She brought lavish affection to him. She knew there was nothing that she had that was more valuable than him. She would not hold anything back. There was nothing more precious than Christ. It wasn't this perfume that was a year's wage. Nothing she had was more valuable than Christ. And she would gladly put all that away, trade it all away, and she would bring this this pure affection and love and devotion. And she would show this in her humility as she wiped his feet with her hair. There was no cost or anything too high or more precious than Jesus. And we see this love and affection. I mean, think about it. Just a few days earlier, she had brought her brother back from the dead. And all that she believed, you remember that she believed that he was the resurrection and the life. She believed who he was. Not only was she worshiping and loving him for who he was, but also for what he'd done. And there was nothing that was more valuable than him. This scene is one of lavish worship. And there's people around. You know what? She didn't care. This room was filled with people. And she did not care. She was unashamed of her love. He deserves it all, doesn't he? Is there anything he doesn't deserve in our life? Is there anything more valuable than him? Does he not deserve for us to bring uh, our love and all that we have to him in a unashamed worship and surrender to him? Mary knew that. And that's the challenge for us tonight as well. We go on down here. This says the fragrance filled the room. And this wonderful scene and this intimate worship and love and affection that is taking place in this room quickly gets interrupted by Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was intending to betray him. Here comes Judas into this scene. And what's interesting, if we think about it, do you remember in chapter 11, we said, and we mentioned it earlier tonight, that Jesus went to Ephraim and he got away uh, privately with his disciples. And he spent some of these days before he walked back into Bethany in Jerusalem with his disciples who he'd been with this whole time. And what you see in this scene is this, that as they grow in their knowledge of him and they, and they walk through this life with him, his disciples are loving him more. They're seeing him more clearly and they're seeing his power and they're seeing what he does. They're seeing him and his disciples are loving him more. They're loving him more. But there's one who's hating him more. It's Judas. He's hating Jesus more and more and more every day because he's not a Christian. He hates the things of God. And can you imagine being a witness to this every day? Seeing this Jesus, this Messiah, seeing all the things that he's doing and knowing what your soul is and who you are and seeing this, his affection is not affection. There is no affection. 
He may have pretended it, but he despises God. He despises the things of God. And as the others are loving him more, Judas is hating him more. This is the scene. Maybe he thought that as Jesus was building up some fame throughout the area, that maybe he uh, he thought like some of them, that Jesus was maybe the one who would come and overthrow the Romans. That's what they thought Messiah would do. Some of them that they would he would come and overthrow the Romans and they would be uh, the hand of oppression would be lifted off of them. And he sees that's not going to happen. And now he sees that Jesus is talking about his death. He sees all the death threats around him. He sees that the, 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 the chief priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees has just put this uh, hit out on Jesus, if you will, that says, arrest him, we want to kill him. He sees that it's all coming to an end. And now he's trying to find a way out. How can I get out of this to benefit myself the most? I don't love Jesus. I can't stand him. And now what can I do to benefit myself? The end is coming. The end is near. They're going to arrest him. They're going to seize him. What can I do? He's hating him more every day that he's with him. And Judas speaks up and says in verse 5, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? What we don't hear in this gospel account but that what we find in Matthew's gospel account of this in Matthew 26 is that Judas is not the only one upset that this money has not been given to the poor. The other disciples are feeling the same way. And it tends to lead that Judas was the one who started this conversation. The other disciples start to chime in and say, yeah, why isn't this sold and given to the poor? Here's the difference. The other disciples truly cared about the poor. They thought, yeah, maybe we could give this to the poor. They truly loved Jesus. They'd heard him teach on giving to the poor. And now they could have these good intentions. Maybe we should give to the poor. But Judas wants to sell this, not to give to the poor. He doesn't care about the poor, but he wants to steal. You see, Judas was the one in charge of the money box or the money bag. He was the one who was so trusted among the other people that he was given the bag of money. And what he would do, the Bible tells us clearly that at various times he would go into the money bag and steal. These people would give to to the things of God. They would give to the things of the church. And Judas would come and he would pilfer out of that bag over and over again. So what he wants to do is he wants to sell this perfume that he knows is worth a whole year's wage so that that money will be deposited into the bag that he's a hold of so that he can start to pilfer for himself. He doesn't care about the poor. Maybe the other disciples have a true intention to give to the poor. It's not Judas. He hates God. He hates the things of God. He hates the poor. He loves himself. And what's interesting and to look at this whole money value exchange that This perfume that he wanted sold was worth a year's wage. He betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which would have been about four months worth. So this perfume would have been three times more valuable than what he betrayed Jesus for. Can I throw in a type and shadow just really quickly? So we know that the story of Joseph is pointing to Christ. That's one of my favorites. It's so... It's just beautiful. So I'll try not to go through the whole thing. We'll just try to keep it here. I don't know what a point I'm going to make. 
that Joseph was sold for pieces of silver, the price of a slave wage, and the amount that Joseph was sold by his brothers for would have been parallel to what Judas betrayed Jesus for. And it was Judah who was the brother that initiated the plan in the Old Testament in the story of Joseph. And that word translated into the New Testament. Can you believe what that would be? It would be Judas. It's beautiful. The whole Old Testament is pointing to the New Testament. He will be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, but he sees this year's worth of perfume. And all he can think about is, I got to get my hands on it. So the scene of worship, the scene of love, the scene of lavish adoration for Christ is quickly interrupted by Judas. Verse 6, now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. He says this in verse number 7. Therefore Jesus said, let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. You know, one of the uses of perfumes would have been used in burial. That was one of the things that could be used with this type of perfume. And we see that in history. But Jesus makes an interesting connection. He connects this perfume and what she's doing and he connects it with his burial. And we find, again, Matthew has a lot of great information in this account. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 12 through 13, here's what that account says. For when she poured this perfume on my body, this is Jesus speaking, she did it to prepare me for my burial. Truly, I say to you, whenever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. She was lavishly loving God. She was lavishly holding nothing back. All she was doing was worshiping Him in her true, sincere love and devotion for Him. But there was also another meaning with it that she may have not even known she was doing. It was to anoint Him and prepare Him for the burial. This is showing that His death is certain. It's coming. It's verifying itself here. He's validating that. What she's doing is to prepare me for my burial. I've said it many times, but I'll say it again is what he's saying. I'm going to die. That hour is coming. And what she is doing is not just loving me and worshiping me and, and showing her devotion to me and humility, but she's preparing me for my burial because that hour is coming. It's close. And what Mary is doing is preparing him for that day to which he will be laid in the tomb. He says in verse 8, For you always have the poor with, me, with you, but you do not always have me. Jesus here is not saying, don't be concerned about the poor. You can't read the Bible and think that Jesus would say, don't be concerned about the poor. But what he's saying here is this, the poor will be on this earth for as long as there's an earth. But the time when the incarnation, the incarnate Son of God, the Son of Man, the time which He will be on this earth is not forever. His days are winding down. And the most important thing is Him right now. He won't be with Him forever. He will be buried. He will ascend. So right now, 
tend to the matter that is most pressing, which is him. That's what he means here. The poor will always be here on earth, but the time when the Son of Man will no longer be on earth is near. We are to call to be uh, an outreach and to be there for the poor and to give. But he says they'll always be here. The days of him walking on this earth are limited. Six days away. And in verse 9, we see the response to what is happening. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin, they don't like it. It says the large crowd of the Jews then learned that he was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they may also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. But the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death also. What hatred for Christ. This man who was just sick and was just dead and was just raised from the dead by the power of God. His testimony is bringing people to the truth of God. They're coming and seeing Lazarus, who they know is dead, and he's there with Christ. And he's saying, look, I was dead, but it is Jesus who raised me to life. And it is his testimony that is being used and it is his testimony that is causing people to come and believe. And the Pharisees hate that. And the chief priests hate that so bad that they will do the only thing they can imagine to do to stop it. We've got to stop Lazarus because he keeps doing this and more people are going to believe in Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. We've got to kill Lazarus too. Do you see the wickedness in their heart? The hatred for Christ? They want to kill Lazarus and Jesus. They have to stop him at all costs. This is the evil in their heart. And as we talked about today, that Christ divides. There's no in between. You either love him or you hate him. You're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. There's no in between. A child of light, a child of darkness. You're either dead in sin or you're alive in Christ. There's no in between. He divides. And in our fallen nature, we, we hate the things of God. We don't have affection for the things of God. And this would be the case of all of us here. Why do you and I love God? If you're here today and you ask yourself, do you love Him? Well, why do you love Him? Well, the Bible tells us we love Him because He first loved us. He loved us salvifically. He loved his people. He loved the elect. He gave them to the Son. And the Son dies for those. And he loves them. And here's why you love him. Because when you and I were running from him, when we were in our fallen state, when we were in an unregenerate state, we hated the things of God. We despised the things of God. We ran from the things of God. And while we were running, the shepherd came to seek you. And then he found you. And in the process of being born again, being born from above, he comes down to when you want nothing to do with him. And he sovereignly changes your soul and the heart that is cold and heart and that has no affection for him. He begins to change. He begins to bring it to life. And he begins to place affection for, for him in your soul. 
You begin to love the things of God and that only takes place after He brings your heart to life. It is through regeneration that you love Him and that is done by the sovereign hand of God. You can't bring yourself to life. Never have been able to and you never will. It is the sovereign hand of God who does that. And if you love Him, it's because He's made you to be born again when you wanted nothing to do with Him. You love Him because He first loved you or we would be the same way. We would be the same way. We would hate Him. We would hate the things of God. We'd never run to the things of God. And you say, well, that's, I can't even imagine that. That would have been our state outside of the mercy of God. Outside of the grace of God. That's why you love Him. He changed your heart. He changed your affection. He changed you. He set you free from the bondage of your will to sin and, and to the devil. And now you love him. And what's our response to now that we love him? If you love me, what? You'll keep my commandments. You'll grow in sanctification. That's what you've been predestined to do, to be conformed to the image of his son. Do you love Christ tonight? Well, know that that's the reason you do. He gets the glory for that. You love him because of him. You love him because he brought you to life. And took out your heart of stone and gave you a new one which beats for, with affection for him. But these people hate him. They want to kill him and now they want to kill Lazarus. Verse 11 tells us what we just talked about. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. We've got to stop Lazarus. His testimony is too good. They're not denying that he was raised from the dead. What they're trying to stop is the effects of his testimony that he did raise from the dead. Can you imagine that, the hatred? This man, who did nothing but die, was raised. He, didn't, he wasn't in the tomb saying, raise me up, please. He was raised by the power of God. He tells the truth of what happens. And now they want to murder him. They hate him. We live in a world that hates him. This is not new. This isn't first century exclusive. We live in a world that hates him. And the more bold we are and the more outspoken we are and the more that we live like him, the more hatred we will come across. They hate him. But I love him. I love him. Because he first loved me. You see, Mary loved Jesus. And she poured out her lavish love upon him. Knowing that he's more precious, more valuable than anything she had. And let us be like her. Not hold anything back. Why would we hold anything back from him? What do we have that's more valuable than him? Nothing. Let us hold nothing back in our love for Him, our worship of Him, our devotion of Him. Because He is precious and He's priceless. He is worthy of all that we have and then more. He's worthy of everything. And I want to just bring your attention to a few things as we begin to wind down. 
Do you remember that the account is that this perfume filled the room? It was an aroma that filled the room. It was an aroma that was an amazing fragrance. And what we don't get in John's account, but we do get in other accounts, is that she brought this vial and she broke it. So the vial was broken. And then she spared nothing. She didn't hold anything back. And then she broke it. And then the sweet aroma filled the air. Do you know that Romans chapter 8 tells us that the Father did not spare His only Son? He didn't hold Him back. He didn't spare Him, but He sent Him. And then on the cross, His body was broken so that the most precious and valuable thing that has ever been on this earth would be shed. It was His precious blood to which we are redeemed. And just like she spared nothing and she broke that vial and that sweet incense rose into the room, the Father didn't spare the Son. The Son's body was broken. The precious blood was shed. But do you know what Ephesians chapter 5 says that His sacrifice was to the Father? It says this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave Himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. That the death of Christ on the cross was an aroma that went to the Father. It was the sweet fragrance of this death that pleased the Father. It filled the heavens. It filled the earth. His sacrifice was a sweet aroma as He died on our behalf. He held nothing back. The Father didn't. His, he gave His only Son. The body was broken. The precious blood was shed. And His sacrifice was the sweet aroma that filled the heavens and the earth. He did that for you and He did that for me. He did that for all those who are His. So I ask you tonight, knowing that He spared nothing, know that He was broken, know that His sacrifice was a sweet aroma on your behalf. Is He worthy of lavish love? Is He worthy of everything that we have? Do we hold anything back from Him? Or do we let our worship fill every place we're at with sweet, sweet fragrance? As we think about Him, we think about what He's done. Mary, 
did not spare her most valuable possession or hold back her lavish love for Christ. The Father didn't spare His only begotten Son on the cross. And we see the lavish love of the Father on display. And Mary anointed Jesus out of love and worship, but it was also done in preparation for His burial, which is nearing. As His hour is approaching, His death is absolutely certain. And He will be placed in the tomb. She has prepared Him for that day. But He's not going to stay there. Do you know why? Can we go back to John chapter 11 real quick? Do you know why He's not going to stay there? Because He's the resurrection and the life. Let's pray. Our Father, We thank you for this passage of Scripture. Lord, our heart is challenged tonight that that we pour out our love upon you, our worship upon you, our devotion to you. Lord, let us hold nothing back. Let us be not ashamed. Lord, as you held nothing back, you sent your Son, the one whom you loved before the world was. You sent your only begotten You didn't hold anything back because you knew it was him who would be the only one who could redeem us. So as you held nothing back, let us hold nothing back of our worship and our love and our devotion for you. Lord, we thank you that your body was broken. And as this perfume was valuable, there is nothing more valuable than the precious blood of the Lamb. It takes away the sin of the world that redeems us. And Lord, we thank you that you willingly laid down your life for the sheep. And that sacrifice was a sweet aroma, a sweet fragrance to the Father. Lord, when we contemplate who you are and what you've done, Lord, let us be like Mary. Let us not care who's around. Let us not think anything is more valuable than you, whether it be our time or our possessions or anything, Lord. But let us be like her as we come at your feet in humility. And we give you all of ourselves. We surrender ourselves every day to you. Let our lives be a sacrifice unto you, which is our reasonable service of worship. Because you are worthy, Lord. You are worthy. We give you the praise and the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.